0: I would love to do share time. So if anybody has any cool stories from sharing at work, like I would love to hear those. Don't all don't all look so eager, like. Um, so Tuesday, um, I
1: was. Um, in the bacon at the hood with um Alexis, which a lot of you guys who work at the hood know who she is. Um and I don't know, we just had to talking and stuff and she was sharing like how her life has been like rough lately and um how she kind of believes that like if there's like I don't know, kind of uh to every like bad and like good thing is basically how it was. So she's like of course bad things are gonna happen and I just kind of like shared that like some of the tough stuff has gone on in my life and how it is like crappy but there is like a whole look forward to and everything and I don't know. It was she was like very good at listening and like we talked for probably like twenty minutes and stuff. But I don't think it didn't seem like any, like, I don't know, her views, I guess, or just she just stuck in what she believes and stuff, so I don't know. I think within the last couple of days would be cool for, the, like, more of us to talk to her or at least like, continue to pray for her and everything because I do think that she believes in God, just not in, she just doesn't have the hope that we all have in Christ, so...
0: maybe like one or two more. Catherine in the front.
2: Um, I just wanted to share an experience I've had that I just thought was really cool of seeing how God works to bring his people together. If you knew Del, who worked in the Deli and Bakery at the uh, no, Hood, and we were able to have a relationship with her and talk to her about a lot of things. And then she moved to the other Walmart and she started having conversations with other people. And then, like, total brain and sour you know, when we were. um, um, oh, sorry, rewind a second, and we were talking to her, and she was open to like going to church, but we all go to this church, which is not open in the winter, and I don't think it would have been very helpful for her, because she really needs like relationships after we leave. And so we were like kind of looking for a church to plug her into, and we were on a group date, and we ran into these people who were just randomly reading the Bible, and we were like, oh, what are you guys doing? And they're like, oh yeah, we have this like really small church. And so like we're gonna get her plugged in there. And then like so she moved to the other Walmart and now is hanging out with other people from um from CO, like I think like Cassie and Danielle. And I just thought that was really cool to see how God brings together um like brothers and sisters in Christ. And like it wasn't just like me and Lily who had a lot of conversations with her, but he worked through all of us believers as a family to help this one specific person and pulling all these random people together and i just thought that was really awesome because that doesn't really happen by chance or by accident
0: that is really awesome maybe one more story
3: So I work at the SurfSide Walmart, and one of the things that I've like noticed is that there's like a lot of like, non-believers. Uh, and like, we always try to talk about it, but there's always arguments that come out of it. And last week, one of our, one of our actual like, managers, his name is Sean, he like his kidneys collapsed, his lungs collapsed, and like, he's been hospitalized and been on like an incubator and stuff like that, just trying to survive over the next couple of days. And uh when we first found out about that, Sandra, one of our managers, she was like, Well, I believe in the power of prayer, and like it was during one of our meetings that she like told us this. And she was like, Can we just all come together and like pray about it? And like she, at first like she just asked us, but then we were like, Well, can we pray about it right now? And so, like we got a bunch of like the other co-workers, and we just like got into a big circle and we'll prayed about it. And I thought that was really cool because like
0: even though a lot of them are non-believers, but like, yet they still wanted to like, pray over Sean with us. It's really cool. Um, I'm gonna pray for us, and then we'll get going. Father, um, I just thank you um, for being able to talk about evangelism um, in my southern accent all summer. Um, <laughs> God, it's it's remarkable how you use ordinary people. who are kind of weird to proclaim your name and to make your name known. And so, God, I just pray um, as I give this talk today that um, ears and hearts would be open to listening and receiving. And if I were to say anything unhelpful, um, that the students would forget it. And, God, ultimately, I pray that this talk would just make much of Jesus and who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And so, God, um, I lift these things up to you in your name. Amen. If you haven't realized it yet project is ending like you can't stay here for forever um, I know that some of you are really looking forward to that um, like right now the staff are coming back some of them will be back tonight some tomorrow um, and in a couple of weeks you will be back on your campus or in your next phase of life and I would suspect that there is a lot of mixed emotions in how you feel about this and how you're thinking through this Um, and I think one of the emotions that you have is excitement in going back to campus and being around people and having the opportunity to share your faith and like this excitement is a good thing like you should be excited to tell people about Jesus Um, but Like, I really think that some of you have taken this too far. Like, you think that you're the solution and that you're going to be the person that leads like 20 people to Christ in September. And by December, we'll look out because by then you'll have led like 75 people to Christ. And by the end of your time in CO or whatever you do, like, you're just going to be a legend. And by the time you graduate, you think you'll be the next Apostle Paul. Like, he should move over because you're going to be so proficient in evangelism. Like, this would be a good thing if it would were to happen. And it's not impossible, but... There is this coming reality that by November, most of you will not be sharing your faith. You will be not talking about Jesus and the gospel. Your red hot evangelism or your red hot intensity for evangelism will become ice cold. And Today, I want to talk about that and explore that. And so um, I'm going to talk about the biblical reality of evangelism and how the Bible describes it, um, and it's as hard. And then I'm going to talk about having a right perspective on evangelism, and then I'm going to suggest that you should make evangelism a habit. And so to my first point, what is the biblical reality of evangelism? The Bible speaks of the reality of evangelism as difficult work. 1 Thessalonians 2.9, the Apostle Paul describes his work of sharing the gospel like this. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked day and night, that we might not be a burden to you, What we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Do you see the language here of labor and toil? Like, that's hard stuff. And the nature of it, and the persistency that he's doing it, day and night. Paul worked hard to share the gospel and to make Jesus known. In multiple places throughout the Bible, Paul talks about the people who labor alongside of him as his co-laborers. And like, I think it's really significant that Paul talks about the people that share the gospel with him as co-laborers, like labor in being hard work. As laborers for the gospel, we should expect to work hard and toil. We can expect to labor and toil and for it to be difficult if we are truly living out the biblical command to make disciples. I think another example of this is in in Matthew. Jesus says to the disciples, um, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. You have been equipped this summer to share your faith, to talk to people about Jesus. By no means do you have all the tools or all the answers, but you have been given like a core set of competencies that can be used to just talk about Jesus and talk about the gospel. And it's really a good growing point for you. I would hope that this summer, that you have been brought up to go and be a laborer for the gospel. But that's not one of what I want to focus on in this verse. I want to talk about the nature of the harvest. The harvest is most certainly plentiful. Like, God is right now bringing circumstances into people's lives where they're going to be ready to receive the gospel. And all we have to do is tell them about it. There will be a lot of people like this, a lot of people who need Jesus and are ready to hear about Jesus. And you need to share the gospel. That's why God has raised you up, to go out and share the gospel. But it won't be easy. And then think about the word harvest. Like, I think we can think of a plentiful harvest as being an easy thing. I grew up in suburban Egan, and so I have no idea about farming. And I always thought that harvesting and labor was an easy thing. Like, I just live in a nice suburb where we don't think about that kind of stuff or talk about that kind of stuff. It just shows up on our tables, and like we think about it. Like I-, I would suspect that a lot of you are coming from that same perspective, where we don't really know how hard harvesting and laboring really is. And then, like I thought this was an easy thing, and then I started actually working at a farm. I worked at Pine Tree Apple Orchard. I love their apple pie and their donuts. They're great, um, but. They had a strawberry patch, and one of my jobs there, my first summer there, was to go out and pick strawberries. And you think, like, oh, picking strawberries is a fun thing. Like, it's easy, it's nonchalant, it's really chill. But when you're picking strawberries to, like, harvest them, it's hard work. Like, we would go out, and you would just literally kneel there on your hands and knees, like, picking strawberries for four hours straight. Your knees get stiff. Your back gets stiff. Like it hurts. It's hard. It takes a lot of work. And I think like this is the nature that we like. How we need to think about evangelism. We need to know that it's hard work. We need to know that it'll make us stiff and sore. Like we know that the evangelistic harvest will be difficult too. Like, think about the farming nature used last week in 1 Corinthians three or six through seven. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. We plant, we water, we harvest, and these aren't easy things. <clears throat> I don't think. That it's a coincidence that the Bible uses the language of farming to describe evangelism and ministry as a whole. Like it's hard work, and we need to think about it this way. We know that God is raising up a harvest that will be very plentiful, but it won't be easy to harvest it. Let's go back to Matthew again in the context of Jesus' audience. Like, think about it for them. A harvest wouldn't have been an easy thing. Like, we have tractors, we have machinery that picks fruit and, like, wheat and corn and all that. And it makes it a lot easier. Like, in Jesus' time, they didn't have any John Deere tractors. They didn't have a big green tractor that would do all the hard labor, all the manpower. People had to go out into the fields and literally cut things down with their hands. This would have been hard, back-breaking work. It would have been something that would have been uh, wake up at 6 a.m., punch in then, and don't come home until it's dark out. Like, this would not have been easy. We can expect the harvest to be hard, but we know that God is good. And God, in the big scheme of things, is raising up an incredible yield. And we should go forth and toil with that reality in mind. And I think for me in my personal life, like, If I know something is going to be hard, I can be hesitant to do it. Like, especially if there isn't necessarily going to be a direct reward promised. And like, I think when we go out and we do ministry, it's not promised that we will see fruit in our lives or in our ministry. Like, we know God works all things together for our good. And so, like, for you, it might be actually seeing fruit in your own life, but that's hard to understand. And so I want to take some time and give you five points about the right perspective on evangelism. Um, Some of these are going to sound really familiar. Um, Others are going to be a little bit new. And so here we go. One, evangelism is about talking about what you delight and treasure in. Cheesebro made this point. We evangelize out of a sense of joy, out of a sense of what Jesus has done for us and the happiness that it brings. Like... Boyfriends talk about girlfriends and girlfriends talk about boyfriends because that relationship brings them joy. We should talk about Jesus because he should bring us joy more than any earthly relationship. When we evangelize, we're evangelizing out of an excess of joy. Two, evangelism is talking about what God has done to honor God. Like, I think there's this aspect where we talk about the joy, but evangelism is honoring God because we talk about what God has done for us like I talked about in my talk if someone gives you a brand new truck you're going to talk about that to honor them we evangelize to honor God and the riches of the gifts that he has given us in Jesus and the gospel and the cross we evangelize to honor God point number three evangelism is about loving people properly If we realize that there is an eternity and that we will all die someday, we need to tell them about Jesus. Like, I think it was Penn Teller. He he made the comment of, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize to them or tell them about Jesus? We need to tell people about Jesus to love them properly. And so evangelism is really about loving people. Point four. When evangelism, we see our smallness. When we evangelize, we see how small we really are. Like, how often is it that you make a very clear gospel presentation where everything makes sense, it's clear, it's straightforward, you line everything out, you talk about sin, you talk about God, and you're like, this is great. And the person looks at you, and they're like, what, or meh? Like, it's frustrating. (laughs) Like on the flip side, how often do we make a gospel presentation that feels muddled? It's a dumpster fire, like it doesn't make sense to us. And the person looks at us and goes like, that was great. I understand everything. I want to hear more about Jesus. (laughs) In these moments when things don't go as planned or when we do something really well or do something really terribly, we see how small we are and how big God is. And how God can use when we say something that isn't clear or isn't straightforward to his benefit and to his glory and to make much of himself. God uses when we screw up to make much of himself. I think practically, too, seeing our smallness plays out within prayer and evangelism. When we understand, as I've said this a couple times, but as we understand that we can only persistently knock at the door of someone's heart, and God can, God's the only person that can actually open up the door of that heart, we should get down on our hands and knees and pray for the people that we are sharing with. We should not be afraid to ask God and plead with him to change that person's heart so that they can know Jesus and know the joys that come with that. Praying without ceasing will help us to see our own smallness. Point five, when we evangelize, we see more of Jesus. In evangelism, we see our sin. We see how we can value and treasure things above our new identity in Christ. Think about, I think Harmon touched on this during his talk, but um, I had this in here, and I really like this, and it's changed my um, perspective on evangelism. So think about Romans 1, um, 15 through 16. I am eager to preach the gospel to preach uh, the gospel here in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Now now think about this verse for a second. Paul is saying that he is not ashamed to preach the gospel. Or he's not ashamed, he's, he's eager to preach the gospel because he is not ashamed of the gospel and because he believes that it's the power of God for salvation. How often do we do the opposite? Like, when we go and evangelize or don't evangelize, like, What are we actually believing about God and the gospel? Like, when we don't evangelize, we're ashamed of the gospel on some level. Like, and when we don't, don't evangelize too, we don't see the power of the gospel. In many cases, we do not proclaim the gospel. Like, because we think that we're going to be labeled Jesus freaks, or weird, or church going type people. Ultimately, we don't have our identity in the gospel, and we're ashamed of it when that happens. Or how often do we not share because we don't think the power of God is to save? Like, we, we in CO, like, we really love relational evangelism, and I, I think it's a good thing. But we can fall into this pit with the relational evangelism where we think that we have to know somebody really well to share the gospel. And here's what I mean with this. If you've been meeting for somebody for like a whole entire semester and you haven't told them about Jesus, you're probably not putting your trust in the gospel to save that person. And what what I mean by that some more is, is that like you are relying on your friendship to save that person, putting hope that your friendship will lead that person to faith in Christ ultimately. And that's not the case. A friendship is a means, but the friendship is not what actually saves the person. The gospel is. <clears throat> like, And in both cases, this isn't right. When we're ashamed of the gospel and we don't believe that the gospel is the power to save. When we find ourselves ashamed of the gospel, we are in sin because we don't re- acknowledge the true reality of Jesus. We should repent and believe the gospel. And I think this this also plays out too when we do share the gospel like I think even when we go out onto the beach like I can be so passive in walking up to people and that's because I'm ashamed of the gospel I'm ashamed of being rejected my identity is not in Jesus and in this like we see more of the gospel or I don't think in a beach evangelism like man like this is good practice but the gospel can't actually save someone today like this is kind of meaningless and the reality is is that the gospel has the power and ability to save that person in that one interaction when we do these things or think these things we see that we don't believe truly in God and that our hearts aren't orientated towards him we ultimately misbelieve because of our sin and this should point us towards Jesus Evangelizing more will help us to see more of Jesus because of our own sin. Evangelism, done eagerly, will ultimately exalt God and make much of himself. And it will help us to put things in right perspective. Evangelism is commanded of you, like we've all read Matthew 28 a hundred million times. Um, But it's a really important verse. And I really do think that you should make evangelism habitual. And a big reason for this is that you, you tend to love what you do a lot. And I think in my own life in high school, like, I really did not like working out. Um, like, I didn't like lifting weights. It was hard. It was no fun. But then I started doing it a lot. And I really started to like working out and lifting and getting big. Ultimately. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah.
3: Ultimately, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. And like That was because I did it a lot And I started to enjoy it Like we learn to love the things that we do And I think this is true With evangelism Like this this last semester um, I basically sat down with Larry at conference And I'm like I have not shared my faith enough Like Sure, I've met with a couple guys over the course of semester, and like I've led them to a point where they basically rejected the gospel. But I felt like I was not sharing the gospel as much as I should. So we sat down and we're like, "What can we do about this?" Like I understood the necessity of sharing the gospel on paper, but I didn't feel it. And so we sat down and we're like, "What we what we decided is is that I should like during our one on one each week." We were going to go out and share the gospel with somebody in the student center. Or I would bring like a friend or a classmate to, like, to meet with us, and we would go and share the gospel with him. And I have to admit, at first, I really didn't like this. Like, it was hard. It was no fun. It felt weird. I felt like one of those Jesus freaks. But as it went on, like I started to enjoy evangelism so much more. I started to see the lostness of the world around us and how there are so many people, like at my campus, St. Thomas, at my my college campus and on my college campus, that need Jesus. And, like, this wasn't an instantaneous thing, but as we habitually do something, we generally start to try or start to enjoy it more. And I really do think that you should make it a habit to evangelize, it would be good for your growth. I would really encourage you as project ends to discuss it with a staff member or an older student and commit to doing it like once a week or every other week because it will help you grow. And I think some of you are sitting here today and you're like, I shouldn't make a habit of this because it's legalistic. And the first thing I wanna point out is I'm not saying that you have to evangelize every single week. I just think it would be good for you. And some of you are still like, this is still legalistic. And legalism, if we think about it, and I think Piper describes it really well, legalism is the essence, or the essence of legalism is faith that is not the engine of obedience. So basically, Piper is pointing out here, legalism is essentially saying that we should do something so that we can make much of ourselves instead of God. If we are truly doing evangelism with a gospel driven heart, with a means of trying to get people to know Jesus, this shouldn't be an issue. And if we are doing evangelism to make much of ourselves, we should repent that we're trying to puff ourselves up and ask God for forgiveness. John 14, 15 says that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Like, I want to be clear here. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you should make a habit out of evangelizing. But it does say that you need to evangelize. And I think making it a habit would be a means to an end to getting you to be comfortable with evangelism and talking about Jesus with anybody in any context in any situation. I think a second objection to making it a habit today is that evangelism as a habit feels inauthentic. Or what I mean by this some more is that like I don't feel like doing it. And this itself isn't a good excuse, and here's why. Authenticity itself is something that is very present today in our times. Like, we and the world want to be authentic. And what I mean by being authentic is, is that we think that how we feel should derive how I act. We think that our actions, our feelings, and feelings should always match in everything that we do. It's very present here in the modern world, and you can go and see lots of examples of it. And honestly, I think in some ways, it's um, difficult, and it's hogwash, because ultimately, our feelings can't guide us. And like, think about this for a second. If I do what I simply feel like doing, what do I have? Like, I have said that I myself am a God, and I derive my own faith. Because ultimately, if I feel the way I do and act out of that way, that feeling is driving me. And this isn't the Christian life. Because we, we realize that we're sinners and we don't always feel rightly. Our thoughts and our actions are not always orientated towards God like they should be. We have mixed motives, mixed desires that aren't always pointed towards Jesus. Like Our motives are mixed. And I think so often within Christianity, we have mistaken that authenticity is doing what you feel. But rather, authenticity is acting in accordance to what you believe. Like, truth, because we are sinners, must be found outside of ourselves. Like, And this is why the Bible and God's revelation to us is so important. Because the Bible shows us God's way and how we should live in light of the gospel. Now, I think... Just a caveat here, we need to address our feelings. Like We can't oppress our feelings and be like, this isn't important. Our feelings are very important because our feelings are ultimately a pointer to what we believe. When you don't feel rightly, it's ultimately because you misbelieve something. And when we address those feelings and those beliefs, it becomes an opportunity for us to repent and believe the gospel. And we should not evangelize because we don't feel like it. We shouldn't make it habitual because we don't feel like it. If we are to be authentic to Jesus and the Christian walk, we need to evangelize. Authenticity is when our beliefs and actions match. Like, yes, we should be honest when we don't feel like it so the gospel can penetrate that and know what Jesus has done. And I think to support this, um, I would go to James Uh, 121 through 126. And it goes like this. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and forgets what he once was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. As James points out here, the hearer looks into a mirror and sees himself, sees himself. He sees his natural face, and he acts in his natural way, sinfully not doing what he's been told and what his new reality is in Christ but the doer looks intently at the perfect law the law of liberty and does the doer looks outside of himself at the perfect truth and he is blessed in his doing as we have discussed like we live in a reality where our feelings will always be mixed because of sin we do, should do, even when it doesn't feel wholly right, or even when you don't feel like it. And this should be an opportunity to repent and turn to Jesus and ask him for more of himself. I like the way Joe Rigney points this out, and he's, he's ultimately drafting off of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis called this good pretending. Bad pretending is hypocrisy. It's when we pretend to be something that we're not. Our pretense is fakery and is a substitute for reality. Good pretending is when the pretense leads up to the reality. It's what children do when they pretend to be grown up so that they can grow up. And it's what Christians do when they have mixed motives about the world. So practically speaking, when we don't feel like evangelizing or really anything in the Christian life, like Bible reading, prayer, anything like that, we should look at Jesus. We should imagine what it would be like if we fully understood the gospel and everything that was applied from that. And out of that, we should go thereforth and do and repent of the impure motives and look at Jesus, the perfect law of liberty. And out of this, we will be blessed in our doing. We will become more like Jesus and who he is into the likeness of Christ. Sharing the gospel on campus will be hard. Like I know from coming back from my past two projects, like it's hard, like it's hard to get in the stage of life, like your community has shifted around. And so I hope like this summer, especially with evangelism, that you've come to see how important that is and how we need to evangelize and we need to make disciples. And I pray that you would have been on some level equipped to go there forth and do this. I hope that you have the right perspective and some theological drivers to help put this into action. Um, I hope that you would spend a lifetime making disciples of Jesus. And so with this, I'll leave you with the Great Commission. Go there forth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And here's the best part. Jesus is with you until the end of the age. I'm going to pray. Father, um, I pray for this room. Um, God, I just pray that these people would go out and be disciple-making people. I pray that when I die and go to heaven, that I would be able to see that this whole room has dragged a whole bunch of people with them um, to follow Jesus, God. That, that would be my honest prayer. And I just pray that the things that I've said this summer that are helpful have stuck with them. And what isn't helpful, they would forget. And so, God, I lift these things up to you. In your name, amen.